sleigh bells ring Are you listening? In the lane Snow is glistening A beautiful sight We're happy tonight Walking in a winter wonderland Hello, this is Sydney Moon And welcome to the Holiday Moons Podcast Where we share our love for the holidays with you year round This is Randy and I will be talking about ice sculpting This is Beth, and I will be going from the Arctic to the Antarctic, to the Southern Hemisphere, talking about penguins. This episode is being released at the very beginning of March, March 1st, so happy March to everybody. We've got lots of fun holidays coming up in March, but first, we have our holiday happenings for the week uh, that this was recorded, which is on Valentine's Day, so happy Valentine's Day. To the family. Yep. Hope you had a happy Valentine's Day. That's right. And last week was the Super Bowl, and Tampa Bay Buccaneers won that Super Bowl. So that was Tom Brady's seventh Super Bowl victory. So I'm sure he's been having a good February. <laughs> well, that's interesting. I yeah. thought he won more. No, no, he's gone to more, but he hasn't won more. So okay. th- this is his seventh win. Good job, Tom Brady. Mm -hmm. I think he's lost three times, two or three times in the Super Bowl. We were also supposed to get a lot of snow uh, this past week on Sunday, Monday, on Thursday, Friday. So we got some snow on Sunday, Monday. We got some snow on Thursday, Friday. But then we got a bunch of ice on Saturday. (laughs) And it's still very icy out there. We stayed home all day yesterday. I mean, it's like a thick coating of ice where we are at. So right, yeah. Our we driveway have... is literally a white coat of ice. Yeah, yeah, and we have like black pavement. So it it was yeah. the iciest I think I've ever seen it. Yeah, the whole yeah, thing. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Yes. So very fun. And then this week was Valentine's week that, you know, brings us to Valentine's Day today. So I had actually gotten a number of little cards for Beth, little, you know, cheap um Inexpensive cards. Yeah, they weren't uh, cheap. They, they were, were just a little, they were a pack of yeah, cards. Yeah, like a pack of cards where I could write a little uh, something to her every day and she could open up a Valentine's Day every, get, every day leading up to Valentine's Day. Right, so I got to open a card. My love language is words of affirmation. So it was very fun opening up a card every day and seeing what he wrote. He wrote something fun on the outside of the card, on the envelope, and then he wrote something very sweet on the inside of every card. Yes. So that was fun. And it started with chocolate-covered cherries from Cherry's Berries. Sherry's Berries. Berries. Yeah, Sherry's Berries. Yeah. Um, So that started Friday. And then you were supposed to get flowers on the Friday before Valentine's, which was a couple days ago. But they were late in delivering it, so it, it rolled into Saturday, which I thought, well, that's fine. But then the ice hit. <laughs> so <laughs> now they deliver, yeah. So now they're saying they won't come till Tuesday because tomorrow's a holiday, I guess. Well, it is a holiday, but I guess they don't deliver on a holiday. I don't know. They're FedEx, so it kind of surprised me. So we'll see when they come. Yeah. But I don't mind that because I think it's a lot of fun to get flowers later. So, yeah, if I if you want to get me a gift and it's late, hey, it just makes the fun last longer. <laughs> That's right. yeah. So I'm good. Yeah. So um, I do want to mention, I do know somebody, which is, I told mom before, this is hilarious to me, but um, what he does for his wife for Valentine's Day. So he also gets a, um, a stack of cards, right? Uh, um, a pack of a them. A pack of them. But he uses one each year 
So he uses, like, and they're all the same. So, like, a, a pack of ten cards or five cards, he uses the same card. Well, he uses one from the pack each year until they run out. Yeah. So, um... So he has a good half-decade to decade yeah. worth of Valentine cards in one pack. Yes. Yes. So, um, I he thought that was hilarious. That. Well, <laughs> well, um, he ran out at one point. He's like, well, I better get another pack. So, um, I thought that was hilarious. His wife, his wife must have, like, a really good sense of humor. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah we do give each other gifts for Valentine's Day. And we've always included our kids, from the point that we had kids, in Valentine's yep. Day and giving them cards and little presents and things like that. So, we'll open all that stuff later today and enjoy that. Uh, Cole is actually out of town celebrating Valentine's Day with his girlfriend. So, we gave them their gifts <laughs> on Friday. To sure. take with them. To take with them. And then they opened them yesterday and sent pictures. So that yeah, was fun. That was fun. To see them. So, yeah. So that was kind of a nice thing we could do for them. This coming week is a busy week. As we said, February is a busy week with holidays. We've got President's Day tomorrow. So federal holiday tomorrow. Mardi Gras on Tuesday. Or the culmination of Mardi Gras on Tuesday. And then Ash Wednesday. And Lent begins on Wednesday. So a lot of things going on this week. Now, March, as I mentioned, this comes out um, March 1st, so as you look forward to planning for March, you have several things that you could plan for, uh, or you need to plan for. Uh, First is Daylight Savings Time. That's on March 14th. Second is the Ides of March. That's March 15th. Not a lot of people celebrate the Ides of March, but it is a big day. Um, And the phrase is around, so it's a good day to actually remind your family or kids or whatever what the Ides of March was. It's kind of funny that that event has stayed around so long but i think yeah. because shakespeare noted it and you know most people read shakespeare and at some point at in their some lives. point in their lives so. <laughs> st patrick's day is march 17th and then the first day of spring is march 20th so all that's coming up this particular month last week i talked about the bad element of ice which was black ice right yeah. yes right it did could, the bad form of ice, which right. is black ice. This week, I'm going to talk about a fun form of ice, which is ice sculpting. Now, do you remember a fun Christmas movie about ice sculpting, Sydney? I remember that there was a Hallmark movie <laughs> yes, that's there right, was. of a, get this, a female almost lawyer who yes. just passed her bar exam. Yeah, she just yeah. literally passed it. Yes. So all those years of school and yeah. all those all hours money. of testing and money. And it was a family business. Mm-hmm. It was a family business and um, she met and fell in love with an ice sculptor. Yes. So and what happened? So she dropped everything and became an ice sculptor. Yeah, yes. thanks, mom and dad, for the <laughs> tuition. Followed your dreams. <laughs> That's right. So forget the profitable day job. I'm yes. gonna go to what warms my heart. Yes, which is ice, ice sculpting. So, right. in the words of Cole, the stakes have never been lower. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. So that was called Christmas Festival of Ice in 2017, and she was trying to save the local ice sculpting of festival. Course. Right. right. It was in danger. Yes, it was. Now, actually, two years before that was the other ice sculpting Hallmark movie <gasps> called Ice Sculpture Christmas. What? Where the protagonist, the female lead, was entered into a ice sculpting contest against her own boss. So that's kind of where the conflict oh, was. Okay. Uh, she was entered because she was really good, but she didn't enter it. Somebody entered her in 
on behalf of her. That's legal. <laughs> you know, it was 2015. We'd have to it ask the 17 lawyer. <laughs> That's right. She knows. <laughs> Convenient to have an ice sculpting lawyer. That's right. So what is ice sculpture? As you could guess, it's an art form involving the carving and chiseling of a block of ice into a desired shape or outcome. Usually, they're decoratives, they can be centerpieces, but sometimes they're also functional. In fact, that's how they started out as very functional. How can you have a functional oh, ice You'll find out. Weddings is what I'm thinking. That's not functional. That is decorative. Oh, that's so true. That's what, true. Are, what are ice sculptures made of? Ice. Yes, they are made of large Good blocks of, <laughs> right. of ice. That was a little then, difficult, but... <laughs> I know. Trick question. Then carved, chiseled, and shaped to suit their needs. In the early days of ice sculpting, carvers would make use of cold conditions to create molds to kind of get a head start on the block. But these days, um, because the technology has come so far, they use power tools now. They just use blocks of ice. In fact, they have their own purpose-built machines, usually, if they're a professional ice sculptor, to make clear, perfect blocks of ice themselves rather than relying on somebody else. That makes Uh, sense. Yeah, so it it, um, makes it a lot easier for them. So the history of ice sculpting. Although the ice sculptures, as we think of them as decorative, is relatively modern in nature, we, we have evidence of ice sculpting that goes back in text as far as 600 years B.C. from a Chinese text. that depicts a group of warrior farmers living in the northwest highlands of China who relied on using the typically cold weather to farm ice for use throughout the warmer months. The Shenzi, which is the river the people would flood their fields with water so that when the frost came, they would have thick sheets of ice to harvest. They would cut into blocks and use to keep the fish fresh during the warmer months. Right. That makes sense. A lot of people did ice gathering in the winter and used it to keep things fresh during the summer, putting it underground or whatever. Right. So that was ice. That's not really sculpting. I know, but it's ice chiseling. It's ice, so that's ice forming. We also know that the Inuits in northern North America use ice blocks to create temporary houses. That's right. Right? What we call, you know, what we think of as igloos, but they weren't all of that particular shape back then. So, who invented ice sculptures? Well, we have traditions that trace back to China of how the native of Heilongjiang in the 17th century created ice lanterns in order to keep out long, dark winter. Over time, this invention grew, and the popularity grew along with it. But the real, the more decorative part of ice sculpting actually started in a Russian border town area in the fishing town of Harbin, where they saw a boom in the population that was linked up with the Trans-Siberian Railway in 1897. So that area with the boom and the access to fresh water and the cold, actually the people there decided to start to have an annual ice festival in the 1960s. Now we know that there is documentation that the Empress Anna Ivanova of Russia decided that she wanted to have her own ice castle in the 18th century. Crazy. But, that, I mean, you could do that in Russia, of all that's the That's right. Yeah. <laughs> and the ice palace was completely made of ice, and it came complete with ice trees, animals, cannons, and cannonballs. Wow. So Russia seems to be the place where ice decorations, ice mm-hmm. sculptures as decorations, 
came into be, at least as far as we have documentation of. Nice. Very innovative. But it wasn't until the late 1980s that some eagle-eyed businessmen, Steve Bryce and Mark Dukas, I think his name is, saw that there was a need, a gap in the market for having people that could do ice sculpting for businesses. So they actually created a business to provide ice sculptures to corporate functions and private parties. So that didn't happen until the 1980s. That's crazy. And then it was during that time frame that the use of power tools came into play as well. Uh, and then the technology and the focus kind of took off from there. Now, there are some people that still use the traditional chisel, hand tool kind of thing. But a lot of places now start with a chainsaw. <laughs> and then they go down to power tools from there. That's what I've heard. Way. Yeah. So, you know, ice sculptures can range in size. And, and the price goes with the size, right? So if you are looking for ice sculptures for your weddings, you know, those tend to be smaller. Swans. Um, yeah, or... so, yeah, a couple feet tall kind of thing. Right. And then, but they can go up to like full out palaces. Uh, there are places around the world that when it gets cold, like it's cold most of the time, but then they put in ice bars, they put in, as part of like a, we've talked about before, snow hotels or yep. ice hotels kind of thing. I was thinking about that. Yeah. And we've done a podcast on those before. So how long do ice sculptures really uh, usually last? So it depends, obviously, how cold it is, where it's being kept, and things like that. If you think about a typical ice sculpture that's inside a room, it lasts about 12 hours. Oh. The fine details of the sculpture start to disappear within the first four hours. Uh, after 12 hours at room temperature, approximately 70% of the ice remains. kind of depends on the, you know, the conditions of the room. And ice sculptures have become popular in films as well. In 2002, in the James Bond film, Die Another Day, there was an ice hotel that was the location for one of the action set pieces. Mm. In the television series Game of Thrones, they had several ice sculptors on hand to create striking set scenes that had actual ice in it along wow. the way. So you can find some pictures of that online. There are many, many ice festivals and ice sculpture championships around the world as well. I actually went to an ice fest, actually it's called Ice Fest, in Minnesota one year. In the winter? In the winter. It was end of January. And it was actually too cold to have the ice festival. It never got below negative degrees that day. So they canceled it for that set of evenings when I could have gone. But they did have the ice sculptures out and displayed where you could walk by and see them and they were you know it's just it's crazy how elaborate these ice sculptures are and i often wondered how forgiving is ice because when you do wood sculpting they often talk about wood is a forgiving like if you kind of make some mistakes you can kind of blend it in but ice is um you think well what if like an arm falls off or a wing falls off because these things are like mass a lot of people do angels in yeah, ice yeah. and things like that or griffins or dragons whatever it may be and they, they said over time they've learned to do a welding, which is an arm falls off. You can actually weld it, depending on the angle, back into the ice. Now, you want to, you know, it's just like super gluing something, right? If the, if the thing that broke off is to the side, such that gravity is not helping you, it's hurting you, it makes it harder to weld back on. But they have these little uh, torches that they use to fuse it, and sometimes they're able to actually just fuse it right back on if they can't then they have to scrap the whole thing and restart you know if it's 
larger than a couple feet, they're using multiple blocks of ice. So they have to fuse these blocks of ice together to start. Anyways, right? right? So, That's true. But the yeah. fuse is blocks to start with. And then it must be that it can be done clearly without oh, yeah. showing Yeah, these things line. are magnificent as far as they're being able to see through them. They're, yes. Yeah, the, In fact, one of the questions I saw asked was, are they sanitary? Meaning, is the, is the water pure? And they all say, yes, it is. You know, obviously, it could be the answer no as people touching it. But when it's cr- first created, it's completely edible. You could you know, lick it and it's safe. To, <laughs> to lick. But, but not in the winter in Minnesota because your tongue might stick. Your tongue well, would probably stick. Yes. <laughs> and, and for the respect of the artist, please do not lick their sculptures. <laughs> yeah. don't, don't walk up and lick yeah. the ice sculptor's sculptor. Although yeah. with COVID going on, that's, I think, very le- much less likely. That's now. true. It is. Yes. People that's would true. think quickly about that. Right. So there's Ice Fest in Minnesota. Festivals in winter, to me, are very fun. Right, we went to the Kindle markets in Germany right before Christmas. So those are a lot of very fun festival. Cold, you know, you kind of get have to get bundled up, and and uh, so ice festivals kind of remind me of that. They've got ice sculptures, they've got music, they've got fun, you know, warm drinks and things like that. Um, there are several around the world. We mentioned Harbin in Russia. There are several in Japan, South Korea, in Europe. Holland has a regular ice sculpture exhibition. Um, that goes on year-round. But the World Art Ice Championship is actually in Alaska, which attracts over 100 competitors from around the globe. So 100 isn't a lot. So these must be like the best of the best um, along the way. So we talked about ice sculpture uses. You know, mostly we think of them as decorative for weddings, for corporate events, business kind of things. Um, there, I would say those in the business are always looking for ways to expand and have more ice sculptures out there because that's more work for them as well. Another interesting question I saw out there was, is ice carving an Olympic sport? It's not an Olympic sport, but it has been featured in many games for the the uh, logos. You see logos oh, okay. and things on, on TV that are actually done by ice sculptures. So, Winter ah. Olympics? Yeah, for Winter Olympics. Yeah, not the summer ones as far as I know. Well, it would melt pretty fast. <laughs> it would probably yes. melt really, really fast. So I wondered, can you make a living as an ice sculptor? Oh, and how do you get trained as an ice sculptor? Any idea? Um, um, apprenticeship? Yeah, that would be the only conclusion. I cannot I imagine actually making a living with it, but people make, make a living on a number of different things. Maybe teaching it? That's true. That could know, be. Being like a personal tutor or something? I don't know. So... There is no degrees that that I could find online specifically for ice sculpting, but a lot of the culinary schools for cooking mm-hmm. also offer courses in ice sculpting uh, because restaurants will often have ice sculpting right. for certain times a year. Oh. So you can get um, kind of some education that way. You can also get degrees in fine arts, which sometimes also have ice sculpting kind of categories associated with them. Now, ice sculpting is becoming more and more sophisticated from a technology perspective. The Japanese have started to use 3D printing technology to do ice sculpting. Oh, wow. And they're super light and they're super delicate, but just incredible. Like, if you haven't seen those, look them up. They're really, really neat. So you can actually get some technology training that'll help you with ice sculpting as well. But you can indeed make a living out of ice sculpting. Obviously, the tools aren't very expensive to get into it. 
most ice sculptors have an artistic bent, right? It's just like a any sculptor, right? Whether you're doing wood right. or marble or whatever, it's an right? It's an artistic form. form. So you have to be able to see the thing and then bring it to life out of the blank slate of ice in this case. So if you were an ice sculptor and that was your full-time job, what do you think the on average salary of an ice sculptor would be Ooh. for a year? I hope right. <laughs> a lot since it's a very specialized field. But I... you got to consider how often are they working, you yeah. know, all those sorts of things. I'm going to say 50000 just because I won at least 50000 for them. Okay, what do you think? <laughs> with no other reason. I, okay, so excluding COVID, right? The year of yes. COVID. Yes, right. Yeah. You're saying the average, yeah, right? Average Not the free? high. Okay. Yeah. Um, let's go with at least, I'm just going to guess higher. I'm going to go with 90000 that's really nice, Sydney. I like that answer. Okay. So the range for somebody brand new coming in, assuming they're full time coming in, is about starts at the low end is thirty thousand dollars. Okay. The high end is a hundred thousand dollars. Okay. The average is fifty four thousand dollars, <gasps> which makes this an above average salary. Really? Yes, for, for all vocations. Yeah. Yeah, if you think about it, I mean thirty thousand to a hundred thousand, the better you get, the more you make. Yeah. And um, I look on some job sites to see you know, what's the job prospects for the future. Right, yeah. And all of them talk about growth. This is a growth industry. Slow growth, like 2 to 3% kind of growth, but growth nevertheless. Most ice sculptors, as you would guess, are self-employed. You know, they aren't part of a big corporate thing. Now, there are some that do it enough that they could get hired by a corporation of some sort or a business of some sort, but most are just self-employed. That are constantly, you know, kind of hunting for for work, looking for work as a self-employed person. Right, and that's that's something that you would have to be willing to do too. Right, you'd have to be the type of personality that would want to get out there and work and acknowledge that this is a very physical thing to do. Those yes. large sculptors and those starting out with a chainsaw, physically labor-intensive thing to do. So, yeah. Yeah. You're on your feet a lot. You know, they actually, in some of the sites, they'll talk about a typical day in the life of an ice sculptor. And it talks about, it's like a typical day. You probably start around 8.30 in the morning. You are probably wearing a lot of winter garments on, right? Gloves, heavy coat, you know, hat, scarf, all those things. Because you're working out in the coldest environments to keep your uh, medium cold right. along the way. So you got to like the cold, <laughs> right? Or at least tolerate it. <laughs> yeah, hopefully yeah. more than that. Well, yeah, so there's a lot of things to think about with that. Uh, but it is interesting. It would be interesting to talk to somebody who made that a career choice outside of the Hallmark world and right. find out how do they get into that. Was it... It would be very interesting. You know, was it like a, like a family thing? or Right, and yeah. that's what I was wondering a lot of times. If maybe it, it was learned as a young age what it took. Because I was thinking, well, is there plenty of time for montages of baking and right. throwing snowballs? Yes. But that, I, that, I digress. That's back to Hallmark. Yeah. So <laughs> from an education perspective, right? So some people might want, well, does it matter if I have a degree? What kind of, the, what's that world? So what would you say from an education perspective, the vast majority of people, ice sculptors have from an education from... Mm-hmm. 
less than high school, high school, college, or some college, associate's degree, bachelor's degree, master's, doctorate. Where's the average? I would say high school. You wouldn't need any, to my knowledge, you really wouldn't need any college training. I would say at least entering into college, because like you said, like the culinary arts and stuff, at least to be able to experience it and have enough like experience with it to say, okay, this is what I want to do, so let me advance. Yeah, so interestingly, most ice sculptors have at least a bachelor's degree. Now, when you read the material, it seems to be that you get more opportunities if you have a college degree. Which is funny because it's not that you necessarily needed it, but you get more opportunities. So I would say about 30% uh, don't have any type of degree that are in this for a a living. I think that's also in recognition that our country, because these are national statistics for the United States, is a very college driven country. It is right, yes, so true. that you know that also probably plays into it. So that was kind of interesting. And uh, like I mentioned, there's in the United States about seventeen thousand people who do this for a living. Hmm, that's interesting. Yeah, I wouldn't think that there were seventeen thousand livings that could be made. I know. From that. So that's really interesting. Yeah, it is, it is pretty interesting. And, you know, ice sculptures make lots of different things. I think animals and uh, mythical beings are often the things that um, you see because they're fantastic kind of things. And what I think of, though, often with ice sculpting is penguins. <laughs> <laughs> you do? You didn't see that coming? No! That's hilarious. <laughs> and what a quick I'm talking about penguins today. So I have been talking about animals that thrive in the snow. Often ice sculpted animals. No. Oh. Regular <laughs> animals that thrive in the snow. And I've, I started in the Arctic. We started with polar bears and went on to Arctic foxes. And I found out a lot of information from them and I really enjoyed learning about them. And I thought, you know, let's go to penguins. Now penguins are... Much more diverse than I actually thought. When I think of penguins, I think Antarctica, right? Polar bears, Arctic fox, are right in the name there, they're in the Arctic. Penguins, Antarctica, you know, mm-hmm. southern hemisphere. Now, it's true they are in the southern hemisphere, but the range is huge. Some of them are in Antarctica, but there are a lot of others out there in a lot of other places in the southern hemisphere. So let's move on to a little bit of information about the penguin. It is a carnivore and I thought this was really funny but okay I'm gonna digress for a moment. What? Do you guys know um, when we go to Disney and we go on the Kilimanjaro Safari we find out different pieces of information. Do you remember what a group of giraffes are called yes. a tower tower a tower because he said do you know what a group of frightened giraffes are called a tower of terror a tower of terror <laughs> which was so funny but often groups of animals will be named something that describe the animal sometimes but like a group of crows is called a murder like it's a yeah. little alarming that is alarming <laughs> uh, but a group of 
I believe it's a group of flamingos. It's called a flamboyant. Right. <clears throat> I believe that's, right. that's what it is. So anyway, so a group of penguins in the water is called a raft. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like a joke. I know, right? It does. <laughs> a group of penguins on land is called a waddle. Think of how they walk. <laughs> Other terms for groups of penguins, however, are rookery, colony, and huddle. I wonder who gets to name like groups of. Penguins. A huddle makes sense because they were huddling together because yeah. Of out. I've heard of rookery though, yeah. like you know, and yeah, then they're birds, right? Yeah. They're different rookeries for birds. So the average lifespan of the penguin is fifteen to twenty years. I was surprised by that, but happy. The size varies anywhere from like about fourteen inches to like forty-five inches. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so like huge difference. Penguin, yeah. The weight differs from two pounds to eighty-eight pounds. Oh wow! Huh. So just it's, it's depending just, on the time of year, water <laughs> weight. <laughs> <laughs> if it's right after Christmas and you've eaten a little more than you wanted to, Thanksgiving. <laughs> right after Thanksgiving. So, there are about 18 different penguin species. They vary widely, but all have black bodies and white bellies. They are flightless marine birds that live only in the southern hemisphere. Now, I will say, and this is throughout my research, this was emphasized again and again and again, the Galapagos penguins live off the coast of Ecuador, right at the equator. So... Some of these little guys might get just north of the <laughs> southern hemisphere. But for the most part, they are largely, except for a couple strays, a southern hemisphere marine bird. So you can't say 100% of the penguins are southern hemisphere only. Exactly. Thanks to those couple Galapagos penguins that probably have their arm into the... That's right. <laughs> You know, when they say, like, do not put your arms or legs outside. Timmy is on the wrong side of the hemisphere. That's right. (laughs) All right. I'm going to bring that up because you brought up Timmy. Um, This is hilarious, and I laughed so hard. I saw this years ago, and I still laugh. The the New Zealand Zoo posted this photo, and you can look up. Timmy the Naughty Penguin. <laughs> and it has a picture of Timmy and then a picture of another penguin on the other side. And with this big word naughty on top. And it's Penguin of the Month. So Naughty Penguin of the Month was Timmy. He stole fish <laughs> and he pushed another penguin over. <laughs> Timmy. And then the good penguin of the month is Betty. Betty is a good swimmer, and she waited patiently for her fish. Okay, who would you rather be? Come on. Timmy sounds like he's having fun. Can you imagine a penguin waddling over and just tipping over another penguin? <laughs> Timmy. Okay. And apparently also sticking his, his little fin in the northern hemisphere. Exactly. Timmy's in, putting his fin up there in the his northern hemisphere. Flipper or something, yes. It is a flipper. Thank you. That yeah. is good. So... Some facts about the penguin. They have an upright body posture, and the black and white coloration makes penguins easy to distinguish from other birds. They are, as I said, a marine animal, and they have a fusiform, which is a tapered shape. So the forearms are flippers, the tail is short and wedged, 
and the hind limbs are set far back on the body with webbed feet. There are species-specific markings on the head and facial areas that make it easy to tell the adults of most penguin species apart. Now, I'm saying easy if you know those markings. <laughs> Otherwise, they probably look very similar to the rest of us. Their countershading, the, the black and white that they all have, helps them stay camouflaged in the water. So when viewed from above, their black backs blend in with the darker shades within the depths of the ocean. And when viewed from beneath, the light belly helps blend with the lighter area above them. So it sounds, once you hear it, it sounds, of course. But it was interesting to read because I never really actually sat and thought about why those cute little black and white penguins are black and white. Yeah. The emperor penguin is the largest penguin standing about 44 inches tall. The smallest penguin is the fairy penguin. I think it's also called the blue penguin, but I could be wrong about that. Standing around 14 to 16 inches. I don't know if I've ever seen a fairy penguin. That sounds fun. I know, when you find Does it... Does it grant wish, wishes if you catch it? I see blue penguins, so I wonder if it's the same thing. I think it might be. Of the 18 penguin species, emperor penguins weigh the most, coming in between 60 and 90 pounds. In contrast, the fairy penguin is the lightest, weighing around 2.2 pounds. Wow, they are really cute and blue. They are so adorbs. They're only 2.2 pounds. So think about, I mean, they look like, based on the picture, you can't really see the... Yeah, how tall... Yeah, you need something like next to them, like 12 to 14 inches high, high as an adult, it says. Right, yeah. yeah. Many features of the penguin life cycle vary with the body size and geographic distribution. The breeding also varies. The majority of species breed only once each year. One egg is laid by the emperor and king penguins. All others lay two or occasionally three. The breeding of the emperor penguin begins in autumn, and they will produce the young in midsummer when their chances of survival are the greatest. Most penguins begin breeding in the southern spring or summer. So, a little bit of variety there. I looked up, I was curious to see what a king penguin would look like. And it's very similar to the emperor penguin. We're going to talk a little bit more about the emperor penguin. After the emperor penguin female gives birth, she must often walk 15 to 100 miles from the colony to the sea and does not return until the end of the incubation period. So the incubation period is done exclusively by the male and it's begun right after laying the egg. During the 64-day incubation period, which extends through the height of the Antarctic winter, the male emperor penguin incubates the egg, holding it on his feet and living on stored fat reserves. During the violent winter storms, members of the colony gather for mutual protection from wind and cold in tightly packed crowds called huddles. Incubation of the other varieties of penguins is performed by both sexes. The emperor penguin does things differently. Penguins have very dense feathers. And adult penguins molt all of their feathers once a year following the breeding period. So while in molt, the bird is unable to enter the water and instead withdraws to a communal molting site, usually situated in a sheltered area away from the colony. 
The duration of the molt varies from about two weeks in the small species to more than a month in the larger ones. That is actually very interesting to see. <laughs> the molting? Yeah. Yeah, it's just once a year, but it's like, that's a, that's a different look for them. <laughs> the principal enemies of the penguins at sea are the killer whale, which are the orca, or for those who have seen the penguins of Madagascar, what's the other one? Seals. Leopard seals. <laughs> Leopard seals and killer whales. When moving at high speeds in the water, penguins frequently leave the water in leaps that can carry them up to a yard or more yeah, through fun. the air. <laughs> Not only is it fun, that's the time they breathe. Hmm. On land, penguins are much more awkward, as we've seen when they kind of walk side to side. And this is actually, their legs look really short, but they're actually not. It's because their legs are further back on their bodies because it is better for swimming. So it's to aid in their swimming. Hmm. And that doesn't mean that they are slow on land. They can get faster, but we don't often see that. We see the slow waddle. But they'll also slide like sled on land. Yes, they will. That's coming up right next. (laughs) Good job. Good thinking. Good foreshadowing. So some, such as the northern rockhopper, the southern rockhopper, and the Adelie, and um, that could be said a little bit incorrectly, it's spelled A-D-E-L-I-E, Adelie is how I'm going to say it, penguins, move among the rocks with agility using their flippers for balance. On snow or ice, many penguins toboggan, sliding on their belly as they propel themselves with their feet and flippers, as Randy was talking about. The flippers, along with the beak, are the prime weapons in defense and attack. The types of food they eat varies with the species, the geographic location, and the time of year, which makes sense. Most of the smaller southern penguins feed primarily on krill, which are prevalent in the Antarctic waters, which are very high in oxygen. Cephalopods, which are squid and cuttlefish, and small fishes form substantial fractions of the food, and in a few, such as the African penguin, fish is the basic element of the diet. So, as stated before, very much marine animals. The body plumage, like I had said before, they're very dense feathers. They consist of very short feathers, which minimize friction and turbulence. The density and the layer of air it retains provide almost complete insulation of the body. They can have as much as 70 to 100 feathers per square inch. Wow. Think of how many that is. A lot. These feathers are spaced very closely, understandably, and tufted with down on the shafts. Insulation of the bird's body is particularly important for the Antarctic species that live in the water that is always below 32 degrees Fahrenheit. These include the Emperor, Adelie, Chinstrap, and Gentoo penguins. So those are the penguins that live in Antarctica. The cooling power of seawater at 28.6 degrees Fahrenheit is equal to that of a temperature of negative 4 degrees Fahrenheit with a wind chill of 70 miles per hour. Wow. So, 
just being in seawater at 28.6 degrees Fahrenheit is like being in negative 4 degree with winds of 70 miles per hour on mm. land. Crazy, no, isn't it? No, thank you. <laughs> no. The skin is insulated by a layer of air trapped under the feathers, and the only bare skin in direct contact with the water is that of the feet. In the case of the emperor penguin on land, the feet are almost in constant contact with the ice. The skin temperature is in the neighborhood of 32 degrees Fahrenheit. And the snow does not melt upon contact. This is possible because of a remarkable anatomical arrangement in the lower limbs where arteries and veins form a system of heat exchange between opposing flows of blood. All right, so that was a lot of information, specific information about blood flow and feet, but it's interesting (laughs) um, because it's like, how do they survive there? It's crazy. So that's most of the information I have about the penguin. Okay, an interesting thing is that a lot of penguins, they're not going extinct. So they are prevalent. There are a bunch of them. They are producing, reproducing. I mean, they are doing great. The exception to this is the yellow-eyed penguin, which inhabits the coasts and offshore islands of southeast New Zealand. The yellow-eyed penguin population is estimated at less than 7,000. That's keeping in mind... There are like millions of the others. So less than 7,000 of this yellow-eyed penguin. I need to look up what that looks like. Can you look it up, Randy? Yellow-eyed penguin? Yeah, because I'm very curious as to what it is. It's not an actual picture of a penguin. (laughs) Oh, so cute. Oh, my goodness. Look how adorable those penguins are. Um, Take a picture of that and send it to me. Okay. Sydney found some cartoon-like ones that show what the different penguins are. It says, know your penguins. Okay, so it's so, like part of their feathers are yellow mm-hmm. right behind their eye. Yeah. And their eyes are yellow also. So the iris of the, of the eyes are yeah. yellow. And then they have yellow feathers around the eye, which forms almost like a headband up over the head. It's cute. It is adorbs. So we want to keep those alive. So whatever we need to do. The Antarctic Treaty legally protects all Antarctic penguins. So, penguins are vulnerable to habitat destruction, overfishing of their primary food sources, ecological disasters like oil spills, and human encroachments into the nesting areas. So, Antarctic Treaty protects the Antarctic penguins. And then, interestingly, the SeaWorld parks have maintained nine species of penguins, all of which have successfully reproduced. SeaWorld San Diego, not a place you think of as a cold marine place. But a great zoo. But a great zoo has hatched over 500 penguins. Isn't that amazing? This is the only place outside of Antarctica that an emperor penguin has successfully reproduced. Wow. In addition, the Humboldt penguins at SeaWorld are part of the Species Survival Program of the zoo and Aquarium Association in an attempt to ensure the survival of this endangered species. So the Humboldt is also an endangered species, so we need to we need to be careful of them too. So you're like yellow-eyed and our Humboldt penguins need our help. But Sounds like it. The rest are just fine and they are awesome. And one of my favorite movies of all times is The Penguins of Madagascar. 
so cute. I can't even stand it. So quotable. Great everything. And what great kind of penguins plot. are they? Well, that's what I'm going to find out. I'm thinking that Skipper, Private, and Wachowski are Emperor penguins, I think. But Rocco, is it Rocco? Is that his name? Okay, this is embarrassing. I love him so much. <laughs> he might be rock hopping. He, he looks he different than the other ones. So I'm going to find that out for you. And then during my next podcast presentation, I'm going to talk about the penguins of Madagascar. And you will be amazed and enthralled. And you will want to go watch this incredible show. And you might want to now. So that's it for my penguin talk. Very fun. Very fun. Well, as I mentioned, we're getting into March now and leaving, well, potentially leaving some of the cold behind. Although, often, the first or second week of March, we get snow. We often have gone to Disney for spring break, which for the kids was usually, um, based on their college and their previous uh, homeschooling, was usually either the first week, full week of March or the second full week of March. And almost always, we got snow the day we left. And I mean, I say ninety nine percent of the time. I wanted to see snow. It's like, wait a minute, we're leaving at a time I want to be up yes. in Virginia. Yeah. So by the time this goes up, we might be having a huge snowstorm. Who knows? That's right. We'll see. March first is National Peanut Butter Lovers Day. That's me. March <laughs> March second is Dr. Seuss Day. March third is National Anthem Day. March 4th is March 4th and Do Something Day. <laughs> March 5th, Learn What Your Name Means Day. March 6th, National Oreo Cookie Day. Oh, love that day. March 6th, I'll have to remember that. March 7th, National Cereal Day. It doesn't say which kind of cereal, like the sugary cereals or the healthy ones. Just Whatever you like. In, in general. You can always follow us on social media. We are on Twitter at holiday underscore moons. On Instagram, we are at Holiday Moons. On Facebook, you can find us by searching Holiday Moons in the search bar. We have a Facebook group and a Facebook page. And you can email us at any time at HolidayMoons at gmail.com. So for Sydney, Randy, and Beth, Happy Happy March! Sleigh bells ring. Are you listening? In the lane, snow is glistening A beautiful sight, we're happy tonight Walking in a winter wonderland Gone away is the bluebird Here to stay is a new bird He sings a love song as we go along Walking in a winter wonderland In the meadow we can build a snowman And pretend that he is Parson Brown He'll say, are you married? We'll say, no man But you can do the job when you're in town Later on we'll conspire As we dream by the fire To face unafraid Plans that we've made Walking in a winter wonderland Sleigh bells ring Are you listening? In the lane Snow is glistening 
A beautiful sight We're happy tonight Walking in a winter wonderland Gone away is the bluebird If to stay is a new bird He sings a love song As we go along Walking in a winter wonderland In the meadow we can build a snowman And pretend that he's a circus clown Wonderland. 